This podcast was recorded on the date indicated with the link. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of Doubleline Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. Doubleline has no obligation to provide updates or changes. All right, everybody, welcome to The Sherman Show. I am Jeff Sherman, along with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And today is Thursday, March 9th, 2023. And we are joined today by none other than Katie Stockton. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks so much, Jeff. Good to be with you guys. Yes, thanks for joining us today. And uh, for those of you who don't know Katie, she is the founder and managing partner of Fairland Strategies. Uh, it's an independent research firm, which we always like to see here on the Sherman Show. Um, but she's also an investment for advisor and focuses significantly on technical analysis. So you're our first TA specialist on the Sherman Show, Katie. So welcome. Thanks so much. That's pretty exciting. Hopefully I, I do good service to the discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, For those of you that are listening to the podcast today and not checking it out on the YouTube, you're going to miss all the charts we're using. We're going to use hand signals, and we're going to try to stump Katie on what these charts mean today. Uh, but before we do that and jump into all that, and I'm joking, Katie, I saw the nervousness on your face right there. Uh, <laughs> but maybe before we start that, maybe you give our listeners a little bit of your background. You know, what, what really got you into the world of finance? Why technical analysis? And um, how you think that this part of the discipline can help our investors today? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly important discipline for everyone. And now it's so much more mainstream than it used to be when I got into it about 25 years ago or so. I actually had the pleasure of, as an undergraduate business major, of actually taking coursework in technical analysis. My school, which was the University of Richmond, they had um, one of, it was one of 12 universities that had coursework in it, which was just really fortunate because I'd already picked up an internship at a firm, well, it was Payne Weber for all of us that know. And Payne Weber, the advisor who I was working for, had on his desk a pile of paper, and there were a lot of X's and O's on it. And I said, well, what on earth is that? And you can imagine it was point and figure charts. And uh, as it turned out, it was a local firm called Dorsey Wright and Associates. And they're just producers of technical analysis. So they, they were producing research way back when, still are doing it today. And I picked up a two-year internship with them. So I had the coursework. I had the internship. And even when I graduated school, I had it, my so-called CMT Level 1, which is a Chartered Market Technician designation. So now I'm an official CMT as of the last 20 years or so. And uh, I published research uh, as another standalone independent research provider. And as you mentioned, we're also investment advisors. We manage an ETF that's based on technical analysis. We feel that the discipline is essentially um, the best used for risk management. So we see it as a complement to fundamental research, as a complement to macro analysis, political work. All of that taken together is where you get the most powerful views. And uh, with technicals, it can give you um, a sense of risk and reward with no bias. And I think that's the key, um, that we can look at things somewhat unemotionally. I mean, there are times at which we get tied to our views for various reasons. 
Uh, but you can't argue with the support level or resistance level. And it's also great for identifying opportunities, looking for sources of relative strength. And uh, in doing so, you can sort of reconcile that then with the fundamentals and really come up with a very high probability setup. Yeah. So what made you kind of branch out and start your own firm? Uh, you know, we hear a lot from the entrepreneurial side. Um, you know, we've done it once ourselves, too. So what, what really made you want to be able to do that and offer your services in your own kind of wrapper or shell uh, that you've created? Yeah, I mean, I think at first it was opportunity. I, I had worked on Wall Street most of my career, publishing technical research and sort of sell-side research departments. The landscape had changed to some degree, I would say, for sell-side research in that um, we had some regulatory changes out of the UK that were trickling into the US that was commoditizing the pricing and what have you. And so it felt like the trend there wasn't necessarily great. But I would say more importantly, I felt like there was a real audience for technical analysis, not just on Wall Street, but also on Main Street. And uh, by going out on my own and founding Fair Lead Strategies, I could then reach that sort of broader audience. And I could do it in a way that I felt was professional and systematic in its approach. So we wanted to bring sort of institutional quality research to the retailer individual investor. Okay, so for those of uh, those of our listeners out there that are not familiar with technical analysis, why don't you describe what technical analysis is? I know Sam heard X's and O's, and he's just thinking about Aaron Rodgers and you know where he's going to end up after the whole you know darkness uh, retreat that he was on. And uh, you know Sam, Sam's a big uh, Wisconsin guy, so uh, but when you think about technicals, what does it mean, and how can it be useful? So you can compare and contrast that with where a lot of our folks know of know more the fundamental side of the equation. Right. I mean, at its simplest level, it's the study of prices. So we're trying to understand the market through supply and demand. And we tend to focus primarily on U.S. equities, doing a little bit of everything. Um, so when I talk about that, I'm often talking about something like the S&P 500 and trying to understand how sentiment is influencing the supply and demand for securities. And that, of course, manifests itself as either a buy or a sell order, and that then manifests itself in trends. So it's the analysis of these price trends that can give us an understanding of what things like momentum look like. And momentum is certainly a factor. I don't think anyone would argue against that. Uh, but it's price momentum. So it's not earnings momentum. It's a different form of momentum. We're also trying to measure whether something is overstretched to the upside or downside. We actually have mathematical indicators to do that. So it's not just guessing at it. We're, we're measuring the trends in effect. And we also have ways to understand if something's emerging from a consolidation phase, sort of a breakout or a breakdown, which can be really good information to have because when something is relieved of where there was once former buying or selling pressure, that's really information from uh, the charts. So it's, it's the analysis of these price trends using charts, using technical indicators that often are measuring momentum or something similar to that. Relative strength is another big input for us. A lot of technical analysts also use volume. It's not a big part of our process. We feel that volume uh, used to be super valuable and the textbooks will tell you so, but um, now a little bit less so. So we didn't have much luck using it in our sort of process or methodology. Uh, but it's about sort of understanding how that momentum, how these levels that hold importance 
will then sort of impact your positioning and market timing. Market timing used to have a bad connotation, but now I feel like it's it's somewhat of a, a good thing. Why why wouldn't we try to time the market, right? Why wouldn't we try to buy something when it's more oversold, closer to a level where it's discovered support in the past? Uh, why wouldn't we sell something once it's lost upside momentum? Um, so to me, the market timing element can be really valuable, especially if you're a fundamental analyst and say, well, I, I know what I want to buy already. I, I don't need I don't need charts. Uh, but in reality, uh, the charts can be there to help you time that entry and also to make sure that you get out at a time when perhaps it's not the fault of the company that the stock might go down, but because of top down influences. Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned volume, too. Um, do you think it's something that has changed in the market structure, you know, with the invention of new vehicles, you know, more options and and things out there that has changed that view on volume? Because uh, you refer to it as, as a textbook definition, but you're not seeing as much empirically. Do you have any insight into why you think that's the case these days? Yeah, I mean, that's usually what I would say. It would be uh, the advent of derivatives and exchange-traded funds and really the popularity of them all. Um, at, at one time, it might have been high-frequency trading that was impacting it. Um, none of these in, um, sort of impacts are really that measurable unless you put a lot of legwork into it. And that legwork might have sort of a, um, not enough value to it to make it worthwhile. Um, so to me, when we lost the value in seeing or needing to see volume expand into uptrends, which is the stuff of the textbooks, or decline into a sort of a bottoming situation, uh, then I just kind of put it aside. Also, it wasn't really in my DNA having a background in point and figure charting, which is those X's and O's, and that's simply price-based analysis. Yeah. Um, and so as, as we kind of think through all this too, and you know, what do you think is the main reason that technical analysis is useful? Um, you know, I, I, I we do use it. I, I we use it for the same reason you said. It's like we have a view, we have fundamentals. Um, you know, we may have some macro overlays that we're thinking about, and we're saying, okay, this looks like an entry point, right? This is something we want to execute. And we use it for that. But uh, you know, trying to come back down and, and to distill this philosophically, because I remember when I used to teach for the CFA curriculum, they were very dismissive of technicals. Right. Then over time, it started to creep into the curriculum as well. So what do you think is kind of the rationale for this and and why should investors buy into this philosophy? Yeah, I mean, so the CMT Association has a phrase and it's called navigating the gap. It's essentially referring to when a security, any kind of security is trading out of line with the fundamentals that should be driving it. Right. So we want to navigate that gap. And one of the best ways to do it is by understanding the supply and demand dynamics that are behind that security. And those dynamics are often driven by macro forces or by simply top down influences from the action in the S&P 500, that type of thing. So having that kind of understanding, I think, just gives you. Um, an edge in the markets. And I, I think that's why you've seen an increase in popularity. You've seen not only the CFA program sort of pick up a chapter focused on technical analysis, but I mean, just watch watch financial news networks these days. They focus on it almost all day. And it's for good reason, because it is adding value in terms of that understanding of how the broader market is influencing other positions. And that can be applied to other asset classes besides equities, of course. 
And it's to have an understanding of things like treasury yields and their directional bias. And we all know that that impacts fundamentals and, and macro forces. So if we can have a directional bias that comes from sort of a mathematical source, it also can give us more of a black and white takeaway. Uh, the, the key, and I think the hard part is that we have to approach it systematically in order to really get the value out of technical analysis. And I think that's where sometimes it falls short for folks. They'll, they'll sort of focus on it for a while and then they'll get away from it. And I think that's the problem. There's no one indicator uh, that has all the answers. And, and so if they're out to look for that, they're not going to find it. <laughs> um, it's usually in how you combine the indicators, you know, the trend falling indicators, the momentum indicators, the overbought or oversold measures. It's in how you're combining those that you're really getting a good takeaway, a good complete picture of what's happening. And there, of course, will be times at which that sort of subjectivity is working its way in. And, and that's where you can have a time during which you're out of sync with markets, right? So it, you certainly won't be right all the time, but it does put more things on your side. So if you have momentum on your side, if you have trend on your side, if it's not showing an overbought or oversold signal that's working against you, if it does have relative strength that's supportive, I think people would be well served by just knowing that. Even if it's just a matter of affirming what they're already thinking, um, I think that's the value add, but especially if you can do it on a regular sort of systematic basis. And I always encourage folks to just have a suite of indicators that suit you, whether it's you know um, in terms of the way you think, or it's in terms of your time horizon, typically in your investing. Um, it almost matters less what those indicators are, um, but matters more that you go back to those same indicators time and time again. So Kind of on that uh, same line of thinking, is there a situation or perhaps a, because you mentioned the uh, investment horizon, is there a situation or an asset class where if you were to judge it in kind of a vacuum, you're just looking at the the uh, performance of technical-based analysis on its own outside of exogenous factors where they work best? So is it better in the short-term versus long-term? Is it better uh, across asset types? Let's say technical analysis tends to work better with equities over bonds or commodities or even you know nowadays crypto cryptocurrencies where where do you find you know based on your experience that it does tend to perform better if at all no it's a great question and it, it is a common question too and it, it's certainly valid because there there are answers to it i mean with the cryptocurrencies technical analysis is i to me one of the best ways to analyze them because it's we don't have a, a perfect understanding of the fundamentals we don't have enough history really to understand some of those trends. So to be able to apply short and intermediate term technical analysis, again, that at least puts the supply demand dynamics in your favor if you're trading or investing in those cryptocurrencies. So, so there's a, a good reason I think people have gravitated towards technical analysis as a discipline for analyzing cryptocurrencies. And, and you know, they are currencies technically, I guess, in, in the way they're labeled. So that would bring me to FX. So any kind of market that's super deep, liquid, and global is going to lend itself best to these kind of indicators. So you can apply that to FX, you can apply it to commodities especially, uh, probably to a lesser degree, equities and fixed income, right? Um, so equities, we still, that's again our primary focus. And yet, um, really for commodities and FX, I'd say it, it 
can be most reliable. And, and that is my experience too, in terms of signals, in terms of levels as holding some importance. Um, so I, I think all of that is certainly valid. Where we feel like sometimes it doesn't work as well would be in a situation that's binary. So imagine a small cap biotech stock right? That is waiting for some approval. Uh, okay. That's where some charts might not be that helpful, right? Um, or if something just really is super thin, illiquid, and because of that, on the chart, you have tons of little gaps. And those gaps kind of create little pockets and vacuums and make things just a little bit dicier in terms of any takeaways. And in terms of timeframes, the timeframes are, I think technical analysis has a reputation of being just short-term in focus. Um, it can be short-term in focus, but it's really almost like um, fractal. Like you can look at a 30-minute chart with the same indicators as a quarterly chart, right? So we tend to kind of focus in the middle of that on daily and weekly bar charts. And those daily and weekly bar charts often show something about maybe six months of history on a daily chart, something three or four years of history on a weekly chart, but we're always keeping in mind what the longer term picture is on the monthly chart. So it's kind of like a multiple time frame analysis. And you can have totally different takeaways over different time frames, which can be kind of frustrating, but it's still important information to have. So you can have a long-term uptrend on a monthly bar chart. You can have a loss of intermediate-term momentum on the weekly bar chart, but then you can have a short-term oversold on the daily chart. And then that becomes your job to sort of reconcile that and say, okay, well, what am I trying to do here? What am I trying to accomplish? Am I trying to assert a long-term position? Well, okay, then for that reason, a short-term oversold reading and a long-term uptrend is enough of an indication to me. I'm gonna you know, disregard the fact that it's in a corrective phase and know that I'm getting probably pretty close to a good entry here. And um, so it becomes a judgment call on how, what time frame that you're giving the most weight to. And it's as much driven by the, the sort of conviction behind the indicators that you're seeing as it is behind your time frame or desired time frame and your positioning. I have some folks that are typically making two-day trades or week-long trades. You know, these options are so popular these days. And again, technical analysis there is, is really very helpful and arguably more helpful than anything else you can focus on, especially if they're trying to trade around a macro event, um, at least to have some of that, um, you know, sort of levels and, and things to focus on that are, are more um, objective and, and a little less subjective, I think, can add value because you can have a defined risk going into those types of events. Um, so we do tend to apply the same indicators there's some that are a little bit more trendy and that will take off of our intraday charts. But um, I guess the message here that I'm trying to um, impart is that it works across all timeframes. It has a reputation for being short term. And I actually think that's okay because what that means is that folks are generally using it to fill in the blanks quarter to quarter. So we are offered from companies quarterly earnings data typically. So in between, there's a lot of price action that we can take advantage of, and you can use the charts to do that. So one thing you mentioned was the, the depth of markets, the global nature of markets, and then you, know, you kind of said, well, maybe it doesn't work as well for bonds. But what about some of the burgeoning assets? You know, we've heard a lot about crypto. You know, um, you know the fundamental analysis says it's worth billions you know, or trillions. You know, pick your number of the day. But do you find that things that are, are more difficult to value on a fundamental basis, that the, the technicals um, are more important 
or do you find them comparably useful? And then also like, well, what do you think about like crypto? Is that is that a good place for the the technical? And again, I'm not trying to say advocate yes or no for crypto. Just trying to think about you know where it could be potentially useful for our, our listeners. I think it's useful for anything that really has a price in liquidity, right? So it'll be as useful for GE um, as it is for one of the sort of altcoins, right? Um, so so it should have that same level of value. Um, but but as you allude to, I mean, it, it definitely is applicable to cryptocurrencies, and yet it's it to me the indicators that I'm using because I'm really only going up to those monthly bar charts. I'm not yeah. able to get like a five year takeaway, um, and because of that, I'm not getting those explosive targets necessarily. Um, and we always are looking for catalysts, right? Um, so we we can't say, okay, well, here's where Bitcoin's going to be at year end because we have no idea. Uh, but what we can say is, here's what Bitcoin looks like right now in terms of trend, momentum, any signals, any triggers, here are levels to watch. So it's more about sort of putting um, that on your side when you're positioning and knowing and um, having the knowledge that something is changing when it's changing. I think that's really the power in it. And so we're often scanning markets for sell signals. We have some great long-only portfolio managers who who really struggle with this sell discipline. And so they say, you know, I, we're going to pick what stocks we pick. We're just going to have to put them on once we've done our work on them. But I, I want you to tell me when they've lost enough momentum to dictate some attention or repositioning. And at least they have that information. They can say, okay, well, with that, I'll, I'll reduce a quarter position, that type of thing. So it doesn't need to be completely black and white in its takeaway. But what's really nice about some of the indicators is that they are black and white. Like we'll have crossovers that say buy or sell. We don't always take those for face value, but we do have some really clear takeaways like that. And, and I think that's why people kind of gravitate towards that unbiased nature of the charts. Okay. And uh, I picked up on something that you're using that, that maybe to a non-technician, it's hard to differentiate. But you said that you look at things like trend and like momentum, right? And so uh, I think a lot of people will use those two phrases interchangeably or, the, or those two words, right? Trend and momentum. Can you differentiate that for the audience? Yeah, it's kind of a nuance because they really are measuring something similar because we obviously want to stay on the right side of the trend, but we also want that trend to have momentum, so momentum, think of it more of like a rate of change of the price, not just the price direction in absolute terms. The indicators that we use, I don't know how technical you guys want to get here, but um, they're often based on moving averages of price. So they're smoothing out the historical price action and in doing so, they're giving you a lagging takeaway of the prevailing trend. But there's value even with that lag to suggest that, okay, we'll, we'll know or at least have some information about when this is a meaningful shift in trend by manipula manipulating these moving averages into indicators that will flash uh, these buys and sells. And those indicators are often called momentum gauges. And the trending indicators will sometimes be something as simple as a, a moving average itself. So we'll say the 200-day moving average, that's a trending gauge. We use something called Ichimoku. It's also called the cloud model. And that's a trending gauge that is good for support and resistance identification, but not momentum. So there's a, a little bit of a nuance there, but but they really serve the same purpose. So, you know, you've talked a little bit about the, I guess, the intersection of 
technical analysis and how it might meld well with uh, fundamentals and you know they really can complement each other but can you talk about some of your experience in you know working with clients that may have more of a fundamental tilt or solely a fundamental tilt until they start speaking with you um can you just tell us about how they might go about integrating your research when it comes to making actual investment decisions and then you know just out of curiosity at those times where the fundamental and the technical analysis might be at odds at each other with each other how someone might work through those types of decisions on you know again if they're more fundamentally biased and it's at odds with the technical signals at that time you know, how how can they integrate that into the thought process yeah i mean i think it's sort of uh, it creates um awareness so it should be welcome to even have actually probably even more welcome right than when everything is in sync to know when something's going out of sync because there can be information there that that should be reacted to. Um, but it, it could just be as a fundamental analyst, something that you use to sort of tone how you're seeing something. It could also, you know, to say, okay, well, I was gonna take a full position, but the chart doesn't look great yet. So I think I'm just gonna put on half here. So it could be a position sizing input for a fundamental or um, portfolio manager. Um, and, and I go back again to that systematic approach. I think it doesn't need to be like a technical model where you have a system yourself. Um, it can simply be consuming research. So you asked how somebody would use a product like mine. I think it's just a matter of getting familiar and reading the same product over and over and effectively letting that do the technical analysis for you. And then just making sure that, you know, you're able to get coverage of things that are specific to you and that that can be really valuable. So for our subscribers who range from an individual investor uh, all the way up to a large asset manager, uh, you know, it, it runs the gamut of, of how they're using it, but a very typical way would be to consume what we call top-down inputs. So we're publishing regularly on the S&P 500 and sector rotation, treasury yields, gold, the dollar. We actually just launched a new report called ETF Navigator, and that covers dozens and dozens of ETFs every week because we know people are really actively trading them. Things like the semiconductor ETF, SMH, and TLT, um, you name it, it's in there. So we, we just want to get that regular technical coverage our methodology is, I'd say, straightforward in some ways. Like if you read the textbook, you'd see some of the indicators that we're using are in there. And then we have a couple that I would say give us a little bit of a um, differentiated edge. So we're using the cloud model, which is a little bit um, not, not impossible to find, but a little less common, especially in the U.S. And then we're also using the DeMarc indicators, which are also, um, they're a little bit of a, a sort of a clubby thing where uh, we're looking for trend exhaustion. So they're really valuable signals that we can get from some of these indicators. So we become, in a way, known for that methodology. And if that methodology suits your sort of process and the way you think and the time frame somewhat align, then that research product can be right for you. And then what we also do, we do consulting where, let's say, we jump on a Zoom. Thank goodness for Zoom, right? And we'll share our screen and we'll walk through those charts together uh, that are of interest. So we'll take a portfolio. And the, the beautiful part about technical analysis is we can pull up a chart and have an opinion in 20 seconds. Um, that opinion can sometimes be hard uh, you know, for someone to hear because it can be completely counter to their uh, views. And yet I think just to know that something's broken down that they were about to buy, 
well, that that pause that they take from that can actually really save them, I think, some money. So, so I think ultimately, if you do that and kind of keep track of it in an episodic way, just keep track of the markets, it can be really valuable. You you mentioned things like DeMarc indicators, and you know we have some familiarity with those as well. And it made me think about like the whole like Elliott waves theory. Where, where do you shake out on Elliott waves? <laughs> well, I don't want to offend anyone, I because you know everybody has their own methodology. It, I was never good yeah, at. I've spoken like someone who may say something negative, but I, again, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, Katie. Well, You're more politically correct than I am here. The the negative part is that I would see waves where I'm quite sure there weren't really waves. So I I think I was never very good at that discipline, and I think it was very very. To say, well, is this an important wave? Well, oh, and if it's wave five, well, where are we in wave five? Wave five can last a long time. So I wanted something that that told me when wave five was coming to an end. And it, it's Tom DeMarc, who yeah. uh, founded, of course, the DeMarc Indicators. He does actually have some Elliott wave that comes into some of his tools. Um, so it is a valuable discipline. It's just not something that I was very good at. Yeah, it always reminds me too when I was looking at at a lot of this too. The head and shoulders pattern, right? Whether it's the regular or the inverted, very very difficult. And you know, when I first learned about, it, I felt like I was seeing head and shoulders patterns everywhere. And it turns <laughs> out they, they were never really playing out that way. And so may, maybe as you think about giving advice to young technicians, you know, how, how do you help you know encourage them to continue to stay with it? You know, like I said, the the to me, the head and shoulders were very difficult to to discern. And so is it just more experience? Uh, you know, what advice do you give to younger technicians that want to get into the field or want to use this more in their discipline? Yeah, there's a couple of things I, I would say. One, obviously, you, you go and read, right? You read what it can be online. That's fine, too. Um, but there is for the CMT program to get those credentials. They're just like the CFA. There's a three level exam. The first level of that exam has study materials. And I think if I were young and I didn't have my CMT and I was interested in the discipline, I would probably go get myself those study materials because if I did find a passion for it, then I could pursue it, right? Um, And it's also a nice curated sort of picture of technical analysis that I understand has a lot more sort of risk management to it than it did when I um, was studying it myself. So that's where I'd probably... And by the way, young references to lack of familiarity, not yeah. some specific age in this yeah, case, too. It, we, all, we all need to evolve, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And and so that would be my first recommendation would obviously to be ed- educate yourself. But I also tell folks that, and this is often to my clients, uh, you know, take some, uh, I guess, real estate on your screen and dedicate it to a chart. And you will find it doesn't really take much. You're just going to start seeing things, um, in, whether it's price patterns or you know moving averages or acting as support. You're going to see, let's say you're using the, the MACD, which is moving average convergence, divergence. You'll start to see how those crossovers can be really meaningful, uh, or you'll see a DeMarc signal. So, so I think if you can find some indicators that intrigue you or find a research analyst who publishes research that intrigues you and use that regularly and make sure that you have the visual where you're actually looking at the charts on a regular basis, even make a chart book of the stocks or securities that you care most about. And without knowing that you have like a, an actual specific goal, 
go through those charts periodically, you know, whether it's once a day, once a month, whatever it may be, and let that sort of guide you. And I think you'll learn just visually that there's some value in the charts. And I think it's fascinating when sometimes the, the levels that are important on the charts that you can see if something just keeps topping out at a certain level, those often make fundamental sense, right? And it can be so powerful when you see an analyst, like a fundamental analyst price target aligns with this major resistance level. I don't think that's accidental. We believe that fundamentals and macro forces are the drivers of these trends. Technicals are, are never the drivers. The only time I think it's accurate to say that technicals are driving something is if a very widely followed level or signal is in play. So something like the 200-day moving average and you know the S&P 500 runs right up into its 200-day moving average in August and pivots right there. Well, okay, there is definitely some technicals at play there. Um, but in general, trends are not driven by technicals. They're driven by people who are driven by fundamentals and macro forces. Um, so that's what we're trying to measure. And I think that's where the the visual element can be so valuable, especially for someone, uh, you know, that 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 kind of appeals to them, right? If they're a visual learner, um, I can't imagine making a trade without looking at a chart for sure. So kind of a follow on on that. Uh, after some of the uh, the new entrants into technical analysis have a little bit of information under their belt, and you know, they're just they have just enough information to be dangerous with this. What are some words of caution that you might have when it comes to using said technical analysis, you know, some weaknesses or shortcomings that they might find as they start to implement it into their way of thinking? Yeah, I think um, risk management and know if you're gambling or if you're investing. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I feel like you're gambling if you don't know anything about what you're trading. So to me, you're making a bet and you don't really have the foundation on which to make a judgment. Um, so I always think you need to understand what you're trading, understand that instrument. That can mean a lot of things, uh, but to make sure that you have that understanding and then uh, you know, you're know you again, putting more probabilities on your side and, and it's a safer way to approach investing or trading. And um, most importantly, risk management. And that's why the charts are so helpful, right? Because you're using them not just to find opportunities, which are great, but you can always scan and look for great setups. I think that's hugely valuable. Uh, but even more so, I think, is to be able to have defined levels uh, to say, let's establish a stop loss here. Um, so we do publish a bunch of ideas, as you can imagine, and we are giving price targets based on resistance levels typically. And, and then we'll we'll actually provide a stop loss level based on a recent support level if it's a long idea. And we do that to say that, well, if if this security took out this support level or broke down, risk would increase. So without any bias, you can say, here, I know exactly what my risk reward is. And to not sway from that, right? To not start to average down or, or you know, all those sort of uh, traditional mistakes that traders make. Um, just to really be mindful once you establish your stop loss discipline or your way to manage risk, maybe using some kind of hedging instrument that uh, just stick to it. So if you had to distill this down into like a handful of favorite technicals, um, you know, again, without giving up all the secrets to uh, what you guys, you know, publish in your research, you know, what, what do you think are the most important ones, again, again, for these newer entrants into thinking about technical analysis? They're just starting with something simple 
as the 50 day or you know 200 day moving average. Um, how do you think about that and the evolution of some of these indicators you use? Yeah, I mean, I'd say we, we're kind of like open source in the way we think about technicals. Our methodology is pretty widely known at this point because we're more than happy to share it. Um, it's not anything that's really specifically bespoke to us except for the model that drives our ETF. The indicators are generally available. Um, so the MACD indicator that I referenced, that's a, one of our primary, I guess you, you could all call it either trend following or momentum um, indicator. We also use the cloud model. We're using the stochastic oscillator, which is gauging overbought or resold. We're using those DeMarc indicators, which are usually offered um, for a fee. And uh, that's another way to enhance whether something's overstretched one way or the other. And primarily we're watching support and resistance. So we're trying to understand if something is maintaining a trend by holding a certain level. So, so we're fine living. We, we want to stay with the prevailing trend over a certain time frame. Now, that trend will stay intact typically um, until you have a significant loss of momentum or, or momentum shift. And we just want to have ways to identify if that's happening. So that's where support and resistance come in handy. And all the price patterns like that head and shoulders for one, they're all based on support and resistance. So they're just ways to describe how that um, sort of shape takes or the, you know what, what shape it takes on the chart. Um, and what's really actionable is when you do get those breakouts and breakdowns, um, you know, because right now we have some volatility in the markets, we have a major breakdown potentially underway in the bank sector, right? So that can be very good information to have, whether it makes sense based on what treasury yields are doing or not. It, we don't care. Well, we kind of care, but we don't care that much in terms of the breakdown. Um, so we we feel like something like that will increase downside risk, whether it makes sense fundamentally or not. And then we can define what that risk looks like in terms of, well, where is the next support level? Um, below this breakdown point. So, so that's the kind of value that we're trying to add just to make sure that people know where something is changing. Got it. And so you, you got something near and dear to our hearts too. Sam, Sam has been dying for me to ask you the whole show. You know, what, what do you think about rates here? What are the charts telling you? I mean, we've had such craziness in the rates market, a lot of vol. Uh, it seems to me on the 10 year, for instance, we kind of hit one of these kind of resistance levels at the four. Looked like it was support per day broke down. But um, instead of me talking about it, what 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 kind of signals are you getting from the rates market? So uh, that way we can uh, we can try to help manage our portfolios better. Well, to start very big picture long term, um, what I do think we've seen is a secular shift. So before we were making lower highs over the last few decades, it feels like now I think we're probably going to be be making higher lows. Um, so so that's the important framework now. Um, there's a famous technician, Louise Yamada, who sort of called the peak in rates. And now she's sort of with me in suggesting that that there's a major bottom that we've seen. Um, that's now somewhat in hindsight. So, um, you know, to kind of zoom in a little bit, when we look at the monthly indicators that are informing us for usually the next six to 12 months at best, um, they actually show signs of upside exhaustion. So the DeMarc indicators, in fact, for 10-year Treasury yields suggest that yields will move from what was a steep uptrend into more of a range-bound environment for, say, maybe nine months. So that's the implications right now of the DeMarc signals that we have on the monthly charts. 
that DeMarc signal that I'm thinking of doesn't make any difference for the next month or so. For the next month or so, we have to kind of zoom in, right, looking at the weeklies and the dailies and how those indicators are set up. And what I will say is that intermediate term um, momentum is still to the upside. So while we're seeing a little short-term pause here around 4%, we are looking for some upside progress a little bit closer to that secondary level of, of 434 based on the October high. So uh, we're looking for some follow through, but as just one step forward within probably a big trading range. All right, well, you heard it here first. Uh, 434 is the next uh, resistance level here too. Uh, for some reason, I was thinking it was four and a quarter, but that's probably because I don't study it as, as well as you do, one. And secondly, uh, I, I like to round things. And so the round numbers there to me make a little bit more or at least they 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 give me comfort, uh, I would say. So, Katie, it's been such a pleasure. Um, uh, again, congratulations on being our first technician on the show. Too, Thanks. it's a distinguished honor. Um, but it's one that uh, well, we're going to have to have you come back, and we're going to have to talk more about this. But um, before we do, um, I would like to uh, give you a chance to, to let our listeners know where they can get in more information on both you, your firm, and how to access some more of this information. Well, thanks. Thanks for all that. Um, so we have a website, fairleadstrategies.com. And through that website, you can pretty much get access to any media clips, to free samples, even a free trial for a month of our research. And we have descriptions of everything on there. We cover regularly cryptocurrencies, equities, ETFs, as mentioned. We go deep into the sector work. Um, so that's our regular research uh, product. And then we have a Substack newsletter. So for those of you that like that sort of blogging type format on Substack, you can find a Fairlead Strategies Idea Generator. And that has usually about three ideas per week, primarily U.S. equities outside of the S&P 500, which we focus on in our regular research. So we can be found on Substack. We can also be found on Twitter, somewhat reluctantly these days, but it's at Stockton Katie. Um, and we, we post somewhat infrequently, but we try to do more and more and get some content out there. And then the last place I would say is fairleadfunds.com. Our ETF is called the Fairlead Tactical Sector ETF, and it's T-A-C-K is the ticker it's listed on the NYSE. Um, but I will say that the TAC ETF is unique in that it has a risk-off component. So right now it sits in about 62% treasury exposure. So it's a, it's a U.S. equity-focused ETF that has that ability to move into treasuries. It also has gold exposure and energy exposure right now. So it, it has a, a bit of a risk-off position in this environment. All right. Well, thanks for that. And uh, you heard it here first, too, how to actually put the technicals into practice and have a one-stop shop, too. From, uh, from Katie and, and the folks on her team. So thanks again for your time today, Katie, and we really appreciate you uh, joining us. But before we let you leave, I have to introduce you to Sam's favorite part of the show. Sam? I was warned here. <laughs> I was going to say, it was 434 on the 10-year yield on intraday basis, Chairman, there. So yeah. we got 424 and a half on the close. I looked it up. So I wasn't going to call Katie a liar. I knew she was right, <laughs> um, but I, I did pull it up. But the, the round, your point on the round number is that you like round numbers. Well, that's why they become resistant. So it was an interesting point in a way. It's like just how our brains work. Yeah, yeah it's right. because, you know, no one wants to remember the 434, right? They want to remember 425 <laughs> or something like that. So anyway. All right. So back to my favorite part of the show, Katie, that's called Sherman Said. 
where I'm going to offer a series of uh, alternating prompts between you and Sherman to elicit the top of mind response. And to kick it off, I'm going to give the first one out to Sherman, and it will be T-bills. Sexy. Over to you, Katie, with crypto technicals. Basing. Terminal rate. Unsexy. <laughs> market sentiment. It's higher, you know, and then the market's listening to Jay finally. We've had economic data support it. And so um, should it be? I don't know. Um, but uh, the market is starting to kind of listen to the Fed. All right. Back to you, Katie, with market sentiment. Still too hot. Turtle traders. My first introduction to momentum trading was from the turtle book. Uh, it's not what it was called, but it was the book. Uh, I forget who wrote it. So, um, but I'm sure Katie knows. I can't remember either, but uh, I mean, it's really well respected. Yeah, it's like got a yellow cover, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. That, that's the best I got. If you're looking for it, Google yellow cover turtles and see if you can find it. <laughs> All right, back to you, Katie, with hand-drawn charts. The best way to do it. No landing. Not the best way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about an airplane. Um, yeah, you know, that's just, uh, I think that that squares with what Katie just said of, of just sentiment. It's like overly optimistic. The, the plane will land at some point. All right. Options trading. Opportunity. Uh, you know, take advantage of short-term swings in a, a less compelling market longer term. All right. And uh, let's see. Animal spirits. Alive and well. And then to wrap us all up here, Katie, with behavioral investing. The basis for market sentiment and, and the primary driver of all decisions. Yeah, and I would say the primary driver of uh, price action, right? You know, uh, to, to, to bring it back to what you've been saying all along. So, again, uh, thank you for joining us, Katie. It was a pleasure. As I said, our first uh, market technician here on the, on the Sherman Show. Um, you know, again, this is Katie Stockton. She is the managing partner and the founder of Fairlead Strategies. And uh, as she mentioned, too, you can uh, get, get their work off the website. You can find her on the Twitter, although it's infrequent. If you want to see some more frequent posts on the Twitter, you can follow at Sherman Show Pod. Uh, and that's where we put up a lot of information here. Occasionally, they coerce me to make a comment or two about a chart. I'll have to make sure we're consulting Katie before we do that next time that I'm not just out there blindly thinking about fundamentals and, and, and we're using technicals as well. So thanks again, Katie. Thanks to all our listeners out there. Uh, you can catch us on YouTube, youtube.com backslash double line capital, uh, where we post all of our videos, not just the Sherman Show, uh, webcast replays, as well as our uh, Channel 11 and our product specialist, uh, new thing called product specialist perspective. So check those out. Appreciate everyone for listening. Katie, thank you for the time today. Thank and you. we got you out of time with for your hard stop. So thanks again. Thanks, Sam. The audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. 
No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2023. Double Line Capital.